0: As you probably know, uh, the college football season is almost here, and so we are excited about that, and I know next year around this time there's going to be a lot of um, smack talking uh, because um, my alma mater, Georgia Tech, opens the season at the new Falcon Stadium Atlanta next year against some team from Knoxville that wears orange, and so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of smack talking going on next year, but whether it's next year or this year, whenever it College football season is approaching um, this time of the year. Camp's about to get started. And one of the main things that the teams are going to be doing, in addition to just, you know, basic conditioning and uh, drills and all those sorts of things that they're going to be doing, is going to be learning the playbook. And so they're going to be in the film room. They're going to be watching that. They're going to be coached. And they're going to, you know, what formations, what what are the keys that I'm reading in this? What am I looking for? They're going to be learning the playbook and they will spend a lot of time working on learning the playbook. But eventually the first game is going to come and it's not going to matter just, you know, that they know the playbook, but can they run the play like that's going to be the measure. And for Christians, it's the same way, like we need to know the playbook, we need to know God's word, we need to love God's word, we need to meditate, we need to memorize God's word. But eventually it's got to come down to living it out. That's the measure of discipleship. Like, do you actually do what Jesus says to do? And that's what Jesus is really camping out on here in the text that we've got before us. Here at the end of chapter 6. He's going to give his disciples and us today two very short, very simple parables at the end of what, what we call the Sermon on the Plain, he's concluding it with these two simple parables to drive home the fact that the greatest test of discipleship is do we actually do what he tells us to do, right? Do we actually run the plays? And so these two short parables are kind of two of the plays that he calls us to run. Play number one. Bear good fruit. And play number two, build on the rock. So if you're taking notes, that's the outline. Two points, not three points today, two points. That's the way we'll attack this. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. If you've got a Bible, grab it and read it with me. If you don't have one, grab one of the ones around you. We're going to be on page 560. You'll get a whole lot more out of it if you will look at the Word of God and not just listen to my words. It's not what I say. It's what Christ says through the Holy Spirit, has said here, as recorded. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Here we go. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so number one, again, bear good fruit. That, that's the call here. And Jesus, in uh, making this call, is, is attacking one of the most widely held cultural myths that, that, that is out there. And it's this myth that deep down, we're all, like, really deep down, we're all good people. We just happen to sometimes do occasional bad things. But deep down, we're, we're, we're good people. I mean, we, we, we would admit we're not perfect, but, but deep down, it, it, in our heart, we're, we're all really, you know, pretty good people. That sounds awesome. The only problem with that is the Bible. Right? The only problem with that is that we're, we're blind to our own blindness. We don't even see it. Like our depravity, that just means how, we, how our sinfulness is not just external. It's not merely external in what we do, but it's internal in who we are. And it goes down to the very roots of our essence. That, that's what the word heart means whenever you see it in the New Testament. It's not talking about the organ that's in your uh, chest. It's talking... Heart means the very essence, the very core of who you are. And so Jesus is just very plainly saying, listen, figs, fig trees, you know what they do? They produce figs. And grapevines, you know what they do? They produce grapes. And thorns, they produce thorns. And brambles, they produce brambles. Like you produce what you are. So you can't say deep down that it's a good tree that just so happens to produce bad fruit. That, that doesn't happen. We produce the kind of fruit in, in our hearts. All right? what, what's in our hearts to grow, that's what we wind up producing. So There's one guy pointed out. I like the way he put it. He said apple trees produce apples, not hand grenades. It, 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 that makes no sense. But still... This culture myth that we, we live in, people who, who produce grenades of the heart will still be like, well, deep down, it's a good heart. It just happens to sometimes produce hand grenades. No, it doesn't. You produce hand grenades? Why? Because you've got hand grenades in your heart. So let me give you an example of the way this kind of fleshes out um, in our lives sometimes. Um, particularly as it pertains to dating for a second particularly as it pertains maybe to to ladies um, to, you know, as they approach dating sometimes. I see this sometimes. There'll be a girl, and for whatever reason, she just so desperately wants a man to give her attention, to, to notice her, to show interest in her, that she'll wind up picking some just dirt bag of a dude who has no real love for Jesus. He He's not been plugged into the church. He's not served the church. But now all of a sudden. That, that you're dating him. Now, oh now he's interested in the church. Not because he really loves Jesus. But because he sees it's a way to maybe. Get an end. Score a couple of points. In the game that he's playing. And so she'll. Pick this guy, just kind of a a total slime ball. He has no job. He has no insurance. He has no uh, opportunities, no ability to provide for a family. He's only interested in the girl for one thing. But ladies will still sometimes be like, deep down, he's got a good heart. No, he doesn't. Run away as fast as you can. Doesn't have a good heart. Like fruit shows what's in the heart. And so let me just say this. Set high. High expectations. For how a man approaches you. You do not need to dumb down. In order to get some idiot dude. God has created you with worth. And value. And you set the bar high. And make men rise to that bar. Do not give them the time of day if they do not treat you like Christ calls them to. And so this whole bad fruit but good tree idea is a lie. We're not deep down really, really good people who just happen to do bad things. No, we do bad things because deep down we're bad people. And so the whole point here is that we don't need to just somehow learn how to become better people. We need to become completely new people. We need to be born again. We need to be made new. We need the old tree of who we are to be ripped out to the roots, completely ripped out and have something new planted in its place. That's what the gospel is. We're sinners. God hates sin, so God sent Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life in our place because we've all failed to do it. And then Jesus died as a substitute in our place, the death that we all deserve to die for our sin. And then he rose again in victory over Satan's sin, death, hell, and the grave. He had absorbed all of God's wrath against our sin in our place. And he rises again and gives to anyone who will simply believe eternal life, forgiveness. He takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness and he makes us not just eternal life then, but he makes us right now new, new people. First Corinthians, second Corinthians 517 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus in John 3 describes it as being born again. You are a brand new person. And so until you come to Jesus, you are and always will be a bad tree producing bad fruit. You may have some that looks kind of good, but it's rotten inside. And so we're not trying to figure out a way to duct tape or tie on good-looking fruit to a poison tree. No, we want to rip the poison tree out. We need Christ to rip the poison tree out and plant a brand new tree in its place. And being honest with you guys, I'm going to be honest on two, well, I be honest on all things, but two things in particular that are maybe going to be a little forceful. For some of you, what I just said explains your whole life. Like you are just a train wreck of issues because you've been trying to live the Christian life without Christ. You've been trying to live the Christian life and you don't have Christ. You don't really trust him. You don't really love him. And you're scared to admit that, not because you don't know it, but because you're Fearful of what people think of you. People think if they knew this. Your fruit's going to tell. And you're not fooling God. Don't don't so fear man that you don't fear. You're going to wish it was the reverse on judgment. But that's the problem. You've never been born again. You're not a new person. So you can't live Out the way he's called you. So so here's that. Come to Christ. He stands ready. To forgive. And receive you. And give you a new heart. And give you a new life. And so that whole idea that I just described. That's one of my biggest fears as a pastor. One of my absolute biggest fears as a pastor. Is that some of you. In this room. Who claim the name of Christ. Aren't actually Christians. You may be religious. You may be moral. You may be spiritual. You may know a lot of Bible trivia. But you have never truly. Repented and believed Christ. I've been baptized. I'm a good person. I tithe my dill and my mint. But you don't keep the weightier things of the wall. You've never truly received Christ and let the implications therefore flow out. of. That's one of my biggest fears. Just playing percentages. I know it's true. And your life produces bad fruit because your heart's still dark. So you need to come to Jesus like right now. Literally pray and ask, Jesus, give me a new heart. Before I can change anything about my particularities, I need you to change me from the inside out, rip out the roots, give me a new heart, make me a new person, plant in me your Holy Spirit. And He will. You just have to admit you just have to admit it and pray and ask him, and he will. He absolutely will. And so when that happens, it doesn't mean that you suddenly are going to be like the apostle Paul, like the super spiritual superhero cape flapping in the wind. It doesn't mean that you know you're all of a sudden like Christians never blow it in certain situations. It doesn't mean any of that. I mean, even back to the apostle Paul, he says in First Timothy that he's the chief of all sinners decades after his conversion he's still saying i'm the chief of all sinners and so we all who are christians will fall and we will fail and we will stumble and when we do we run back to jesus we don't run from him to try to clean ourselves up and i got to stay away until you so, know we run right back to him and fall on his grace and fall on his mercy and fall on the gospel and hear it again and receive it again and he picks us up and he loves us and he basically like the, like the woman caught in adultery I don't condemn you either go now though and sin no more so that's the that's the truth for a Christian we're going to fall we're going to fail but here you need to listen real closely though that's true if our actions are chronically dark habitually sinful right maybe you've behaviorally modified for a season but it keeps always coming back because it was just external if our actions are chronically sinful then this text is screaming at us that maybe the reason it is that way is because your heart is still sinful You've never truly trusted Christ. That's why we keep chronically doing these things. We, we say and we do what's in our heart, even if we're blind to it. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So how many of you are on social media of some sort? Good majority. Did you know that people who follow you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of those other things may know you better than you actually know yourself? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so they clearly see what is overflowing from the abundance of the heart. What what is the treasure of your soul? They see it because you talk about it. And so what does your social media say about you? What is it pointing out about the overflow of your heart, the abundance of your heart? Are you harsh? Are you judgmental? Are you mean-spirited? What do you talk about the most? What are you the most passionate about? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, folks, what is your mouth communicating about what is your actual treasure? What is in your heart? And the whole point of this text here is don't tell me. Show me. Don't just tell me. Show me. You can say it all day long. Show me. Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? That's good fruit. Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22. Love. Joy. Peace. Are these things growing in you? Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. Are you producing that kind of fruit? Are you producing the fruit of loving God with all that you are and loving your neighbor as yourself? Who's my neighbor? The Samaritan. Someone not like you. Are you producing that kind of fruit? The kind of fruit Jesus calls us to produce. Are you running the play to bear good fruit? Are you? Search your heart. And if you're not, repent, turn, and run the play. Bear good fruit. That's number one. Number two, build on the rock. Build on the rock. Look at verse 46 with me. Why do you call me, All right, Jesus preaching here, end of his sermon, why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's a great question. You're the king, Jesus. You're Lord, you're master, you're good, you're perfect, you're true. And I disagree. I disagree with what you said. You're good, you're true, you saved me, you're the Lord, you're the sovereign over all, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, but you're wrong on this one. And that's what we say every single time we sin, that's what our actions communicate. And it's interesting because verse 46 shows us that Jesus knew that he would have nominal followers. Nominal, that, word, that means name, okay? So followers in name only. That's what nominal means. People who say they're Christians, but there's nothing distinctively Christian that differentiates the way they live their lives from those around them and the way they live their lives. Nothing that's distinctive about that. And in America, these are everywhere. One good thing is that they're beginning to go away. We see the nominals are becoming those that don't identify as, Loosely affiliated, but they claim no religious allegiance. So the whole idea of Bible Belt, cultural Christianity is beginning to die down. And it will help the gospel advance because people recognize I don't know Christ. Not well, I was baptized. My daddy was a deacon, that kind of nonsense. But nominal Christians. They're everywhere. And Jesus seems to know because he's Lord. Lord. That this is going to be an issue. And that's why this whole section here. Is camping out on how we distinguish. Nominal from real. Because notice. This parable is not being preached. About the religious and the irreligious. This parable is about people. Who hear. Jesus' words. Okay all of them in this parable. Are Jesus listeners. So this is not talking about people. Who aren't at church today. This is only talking about people who are at church today. And he says, within that, you've got two kinds of people. And only one kind is prepared for the coming storms. The coming storms of life as well as the coming storm of judgment. And that kind is the obedient listener. The one who hears Jesus and obeys Jesus. The one who builds his house on the rock. That's the one who won't be shaken. And Look at it again with me, verse 46. <clears throat> Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the string broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them. Notice they're both hearing. The one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. when the string broke against it, immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great and again i think that this reaches further along than just the storms of life all the way to judgment and so build your house on the rock all right build on the rock well how do you do that look at verse 47 again everyone who comes to me so first step you've got to come to jesus you need to Repent and trust the gospel. Everyone who comes to me, right, it starts there. You've got to know Jesus. And here's my words. All right? You've got to listen to what he says and does them. I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house. He dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. That, that, like, that's the, when you live that way, you come to Jesus, you listen, and you do what he says. That's how you build a, a rock solid foundation that won't be shaken. And, and so, a couple of weeks ago, we had a team return from the Dominican Republic. They went and built a house. If, if you were on that trip, raise your hand. All right. Um, we've also sent, I don't know, three or four teams to Juarez, Mexico over the last few years to build a home there. If you've ever gone to Juarez and built a home, raise your hand. Building a house. Bobby is a contractor. He builds houses for a living. Building a house is hard work. It is very, very hard work. It is labor intensive and it is costly. It's painstaking work. Like When we were in Juarez a couple of times, it's unbelievably hot. And you go eat lunch and you just want to stay in the quasi air conditioned swamp cooler type cooling they have. You want to stay there, but the house has got to get finished. So you've got to go back. You have to go get the work done. Mind over matter. Painstaking. I don't care how tired I am. I will push through and get this done. It is costly. Building a house is costly. And living for Christ. It's costly. It takes work. You know, it's by grace, through faith, that we're saved, not by works, so that no man may boast, right? It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us this. But then out of that we we follow Christ. Verse 10 tells us that we, um, we're created in, in Christ for um, like his workmanship, for good works that he prepared beforehand, that we might walk in them. Joe Paraphrase. And so it's costly, it's hard work. I was talking with a good friend of mine at Mama's Java on Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday. We were talking about, we were talking about the fact that it is costly to follow Jesus. We're talking about the fact that it is hard, that it is costly. And the fact that it that it that it means that Jesus is king, all right? Following Jesus means that he is king. He is master. He is Lord of our lives. So we do not respond, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? No, if we call him Lord, Lord, we do what he tells us. And so he and I were talking about this and we were talking about the cost. That following Jesus means that Jesus is first before all things. That he's first before all things. And so we just laid it out. He's first before our will. Before what we want to do. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. What is a cross? It's not. a. We got a decoration, right? It's an instrument of death. That's what a cross is. And so we're to. Carry our cross. That means we are to die to ourselves daily. Minutely. over And live for Christ. We're not our own anymore. We're bought at a price. We are His. And so Jesus is before our will. He is also before our ambitions. Why gain the whole wide world and just lose your soul? He's before our ambitions. He comes before our success. He comes before our money and our goals and our accolades or our escalades. And I'm not... Camping out on you if you drive one, that's great. I'd love one too if you want to donate it. But Jesus is before our prestige. He's before our popularity. Like Following Jesus isn't popular. You're going to take shots. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose influence. You're going to lose opportunities. You're going to take shots. Sometimes friendly fire. He's before fill in the blank. Jesus is before all things, whatever it may be. He's before the good old USA. He's before your preferred political candidates. Both of which historically have long-standing track records of just absolute train wrecks of morality, Leadership and trustworthiness. Lord help us. But the point is that Jesus, as disciples, is before all things. All things our will, our ambitions, our popularity, our politics, our fill in the blank. He's before all things. And if you have a place in your life where you are willingly like, no, I know Jesus says this, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to believe this, if you have a place where you're willingly like that. At least in that moment, when you say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, book and says, you're a liar. At least in that moment. Following Jesus is costly. We surrender our rights we surrender our opinions to his word he's the potter we're the clay clay doesn't talk back it's costly but watch this even as costly as it is even as costly as it is when we take the time to build the right spiritual foundation we're ready for Anything that comes at us, any storm, no matter how strong it may be. Because storms, storms are coming. They just are. In every single one of your lives, storms are coming. Kids will get sick and die or struggle for life. Parents, you watch them get sick and die. You will get sick and die. It's not that long. Every single one of us will be on our deathbed. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just trying to be honest. It's going to happen. We just stick our heads in the sand and pretend it's not. Cancer's going to hit. Divorce is going to hit. Heartache is going to hit. You lose a job. You lose a house. You lose your family. Storms come. As a pastor, I said it last week, I have a front row seat for this. I see the highest of highs. People come to Christ. Lives are made new. Lives are rearranged. Lives are transformed. And I see the lowest of lows when life crumbles and cracks and breaks and all Hades breaks loose. Storms come. I've experienced them. I will experience them. And if you've set your life up in a way where it's just well, as long as everything you know goes according to plan, as long as nothing goes wrong, everything's going to work out. Something's going to go wrong, and then you're floating down the river trying to put a foundation as you're floating, and there's no hope. It's a day late. In Christ, there's always hope. There's always He will rescue. That's what He does. But if you never, ever build on the rock, man, you are going to, the storm's going to come and it is going to wash away. And so what Jesus is saying, like, how, how do we get this, how do we get this sound, this, this, this rock solid foundation? Spiritual truth plus obedience. That builds a rock-solid foundation. I mean, verse 47, that's what he's done. Everyone who comes to me, hears my word, spiritual truth, and does them obedience, he will be like a guy who's got to build a house and digs deep and lays a foundation on the rock. So truth plus obedience, rock-solid foundation. So we've got to have truth. We need to hear the truth. Like, we need the playbook. Got to have the playbook. You need to make sure you have the right playbook and not the wrong playbook. Not some other, you know, team's playbook. Not some self-help, pop psychology, you know, best life now, prosperity, gospel, false teacher type playbook. You need the real playbook. The one that's full of truth. You've got to learn the playbook. And so are you consistent in gathering for worship? and hearing the word taught? That's one of the ways you... Learn the playbook. Are you consistent in growing in groups? We just talked about community groups we are kicking off. We have other groups, Sunday morning Bible study and Wednesday nights. And in these groups, we have a chance to be honest and humble and, and teachable and talk to one another. Are you consistent in reading your Bible? And listening to the counsel of godly friends who love you and that God's put around you and are willing to show you where you're blind and call you out for being a hypocrite? You've got to run the playbook, right? We need the right one. But then you've got to run the plays. You've got to do, you got to run the plays. And so for most of us that are in here, because I see you everything, you don't need necessarily more tools in the toolbox or, you know, you just run the ones you know. Use the ones you have. Everybody's like, give me another verse. Give me a new Bible study. Give me this, give me that. Do it. So for some of us, it is a truth problem. We don't know the truth. We need to know what the truth is so that we can. Oh, OK, now I know it. Now I'll live that way. That's some of us. For others of us, it's not a truth problem. It's an obedience problem. We know the truth. We just don't do it. I mean, from a 30,000 foot view, just this is going to oversimplify it, but a This is is the way I think it boils down. So much of life, 30,000 foot views, so much of life, so much of our conflicts, so much of of, of counseling with people really boils down to three overarching questions. Number one, what's the problem? Okay, so let's identify the problem. Number two, what does the Bible say about the problem? So let's search the scriptures and see what the Bible says about that. Okay, number three, are you going to obey? It's oversimplification, but what's the issue? All right, here's what the issue is. Here's the truth of God's word about the issue. So are you going to obey him? You know what it is. Are you going to obey him? And it just fascinates me and infuriates me because people will be willing to trust Christ for their eternal salvation. Their eternal destiny, eternal. But then this thing right here, nope. I know better than you. I know what to do. I'll trust you with the big things, but the small things I can't possibly trust you with. To know the truth and continue to ignore it will lead you to ruin to know the truth and continue to ignore it will lead you to ruin. Verse 49, But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man. The one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the string broke against it, Immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. We are to hear, and we are to do. We're to run the plains, bearing fruit and building on the rock, but even more specific than that, just to get a little more specific, what what Jesus is talking about here when he's saying these things is the totality of his sermon that he's preaching on the plain. Like when he says, verse 46, you, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't knew, do what I tell you to do. What he's referring to is their disobedience to the very things he's been preaching. Why, why do you call me Lord and neglect to do what I've just told you to do? And so what is that? What is he telling me to do? What is he telling us to do? What are we to hear and to do? I'm going to read this sermon, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good. To those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek. Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak. Do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you. Do so to them. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. With the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? That is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what i tell you everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them i will show you what he's like he's like a man building a house who dug down deep laid the foundation on the rock and when a flood arose the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation and when the stream broke against it Immediately, it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Authentic disciples hear what Jesus said, and they do what Jesus said. They bear fruit, they bear good fruit, and they build on the rock. They run the play. Do you? Father, help us. We are blind to our own blindness. And so even as we try to go introspective and we we are blind. So, Holy Spirit, come and illumine our hearts and our minds and search us. And not just see if there be any wicked way in us, as Psalm 139, 23 and 24 put it, but show us because we know there are wicked ways within us. Show us and help us to repent and to change and to follow you and to hear you and do what you've called us to do. And we know, Lord, sanctification is sloppy and messy, and this is a process we'll be going through our whole lives. We're constantly running back, though we are a new man, we're constantly running back to the old man and wanting to go back to our sinful. Ways we we get that, Lord, but but press us on. Press us on not to perfection but progress. Great progress. Help us. Let us, Lord, let us be humble and teachable. never there we never get there but you will bring us home And even in our failings and in our fallings you're graceful and merciful so father for those who perhaps recognize their nonchalant approach that they've had to you for so long lord would you you fill their heart and flood their mind with the fact that you love them and you, uh, it it, it is a graceful gift that you have shown them this. It's a good gift to receive it that way. Those in here would perhaps who have not trusted and received your gospel, would you save them now? You're the one who saves, not us. Would you do what only you can do? Would you regenerate heart?